Uh, you have your Bibles turned to Proverbs chapter 6 because we started a conversation last week on friendship. And uh, it's been fascinating for me to hear the feedback from that conversation that we had last week. Many of you have either stopped and talked to me, emailed, called, whatever it might be, and begun talking to me about the things that it's stirring in you to have this conversation. For some of you, it's kind of stirred in you thinking about some of your friends, some of your seasonal friends, some of your circumstantial friends, right? You begin thinking about, wow, that was a good friend I had at that time in college, or I haven't heard from that friend. Some of you, uh, I shared this last week, some of you begin to think about friends you've lost, had a guy come out, I think I shared this with you, he said, I had a best friend, he died 62 years ago, and then he said to me, he said, I've never replaced him, like I don't have any other friends in my life, fascinating, 62 years, had another gal about my age, she went out last week and she said, at age 17, I developed a friendship that I knew was negative, and it has had repercussions in my life to this day, she said, it's interesting, right? And so some of you have begun thinking about loss of friendship, negative friendships. Others of you have been thinking about lifelong friends, some of them very positive. Some of you, this is interesting to me, some of you begin thinking about friends that you've had since elementary school and have kept this vibrant friendship with those people even to this day. It's fascinating to hear some of your stories about it, but it stirs something that we know is important. Here's what you know, I know, we know, we talked about last week, and that is this, this idea of Friendship, this conversation that we're having, is vitally, vitally, vitally important. You know that intuitively. You know it instinctively. You already know it, but you know it experientially. You can look at your life and say, friends have played an important part in my life, a vital role in my life, positive or negative. They've played a vital role in my life. But here's what we said last week by way of review. We said that biblically it's important, right? God says it's important. So all we did last week was lay down a platform on which to have this conversation we're having. And, and we took a look at some things God has to say about friendship. And here's what we said. We said that one of the first things you see in God's story is that you and I have been formed from a friendship. That the God in Genesis 1 who created us, created us from this eternal friendship. That God is one God, exists in three persons, and he forever and always has existed in this perfect friendship. This perfect relationship where there's acceptance, where there's selfless love, where there's mutual concern and care. And so God has existed in this friendship. The God who made us, made us from a friendship. But when he made us... He made us in his image, which means this. We weren't just formed from a friendship. We've been formed for a friendship. We, we said it this way, that God created, and you can read about this, Genesis 1 and 2, and he'd created, and he said, this is good, created, this is good, created, this is good. But there came a point in time in his creation before sin ever entered the story. When he created something, he looked at it and said, that ain't good. He created this perfect garden, had all these animals, had all this cool stuff going on, and he made Adam. He put him in this perfect garden. He put him among all these animals, all this creation, all this perfection. He looked at Adam, this man that God had created, and he said, that ain't good because he's alone. And last week we said the very first problem that God detected and addressed in man was our aloneness. And so here's what he did. Here's what he did. He made Eve. 
fascinating, right? He made Eve. And so you can read about that in Genesis 1 and 2. But he made Eve. And here's what's fascinating to think about. At that point in time, man, just think about this, man existed in perfect relationship with God and others. It might be a little bit what heaven's like, right? It's kind of cool to think about. Man existed in perfect relationship with God. Literally, it was his habit to walk in the cool of the day with God. Imagine that. That'd be kind of cool, right? Like, like walking with God, an unencumbered relationship with God. And then it says this, and this is, I mean, but it just is what it is, that, that he literally existed in this perfect garden with his wife. They were naked and felt no shame. Like, like I mean, at first you're like, oh, that sounds kind of weird and funny, but here's the deal. There was total transparency, and there was no need to cover up, hide, no nothing like that. In this total perfection, they existed, right? And it sounds kind of weird, but then here's what happens, right? It sounds weird because we can't totally get our head around that, right? But here's what happens. Sin enters the story, and when sin enters the story, it literally drives a wedge in man's relationship with God and man's relationship with each other. Here's what you find. The, the God that man walked in the cool of the day with, all of a sudden he's hiding from. Interesting, isn't it? All of a sudden, his wife, who he's walking around the garden naked with, there's total transparency. They're covering themselves. And you know what they're doing? They're blaming each other for what's going on. You see, God's story is about God creating us from friendship, God creating us for friendship. But here's the story. You just need to get this, that, that literally we, man, starting with Adam, have turned our back on God. That's sin, by the way. All of us are sinners, and we all have turned our back on God. Good news of the story is this. Ready? Good news is this. God did not, will not, has not turned his back on us. You glad about that? That's kind of cool. Right? In fact, the story of God, which is good news, which we call the gospel, which just means good news, simply says this, that when Jesus came, God came wrapped in skin. He was rejected so I could be accepted, and you could be accepted. That at the cross, when God turned his back at sin at the cross, he turned his back, Jesus on the cross, so that he might turn his face towards us in friendship. That literally Jesus became the substitute, stood in the way, took my penalty for my sin, so that I could have a chance to be accepted as his friend. Jesus went to hell and back to secure my friendship. And so here's the deal. Being friends with God is something God desires, makes possible. How do I do that? Some of you are like, man, I'm trying to be God's friend. I'm coming to church every week. That's not how it happens. Some of you are like, I'm trying to be God's friend. I'm, I'm, I'm being kind to others. Great. Keep being kind to others. But that's not how you become a friend of God. How do I become a friend of God? We say it this way around here. You say yes to Jesus. You're like, well, Dan, what does it mean to say yes to Jesus? Let me tell you, because this is the most important, ready? The most important friendship you will ever develop in your life that will affect all others. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've turned my back on God. Yes, Jesus, I believe that I can't save myself. I can't make this thing right. I can't get the ship right on my own. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you and you alone are the Savior of the world. That when you died, you died for me in my place for my sin. And yes, Jesus, I believe you're alive. And following you, you're the only one who can lead me into a life that is really living. And yes, Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life walking with you, which is another way the Bible describes friendship. 
God wants to be my friend. Listen close. We don't have a screen for this. You ought to write it down. And when it comes to friendship, my first and most important, my first and most important, my first and most important friendship is with God. Because it determines, drives, decides, and defines all other friendships that I have. My first and most important friendship is with God. And here's why that's important. Because I wasn't just formed for friendship, but my friendships end up forming me. Right? And so we said it this way last week. My friendships determine my future. Proverbs 13 says it this way. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Literally, our friendships end up forming us. So we used a picture last week, and I'm going to get us caught up to speed for this week, of concentric circles. Can we throw that up there? There we go. That the outside circle literally represents, represents uh, the, the fact that a lot of us have a lot of capacity for acquaintances in our life. We have acquaintances in our life, and that's people that we care about, we're kind to, we're cordial to. Right, And so you can think of those kind of people in your life. But when you go in a circle, all of a sudden we call that companions or we could call it buddies. That's people that have influence in our life. They're our buddies, our golfing buddies, our hunting buddies, our fishing buddies. And I went through the first two services and I couldn't think what gals would call it, right? And I had a gal go out and this is a gal told me this. Don't send me an email over this one, okay? But she said, here's what you need to call it. She said, we have what we call talking buddies. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody got an amen on that? Huh? If you don't like what I just said, it was her fault, okay? But she said, but, but you have buddies. These are people that have influence in your life. You have influence. They have influence. But we said that that inner circle, which is smaller, there's less capacity, less room, is what we're calling friends. And that's where you find care, influence, and into me see all coming together. Care, influence, and into me see. It's an intimacy. It's a transparency. There's a depth of relationship. And when it comes to that layer of friendship, I need to begin to look at that layer of friendship and say, who is it that I invite into that circle of care, influence, and intimacy? And it's that first and most important relationship with God that helps me decide, determine, and define who comes into that circle. Because look here a second. Not everybody that I invite into that circle is positive. Do you agree with me? That there are relationships that we have that are negative. And those negative relationships that we have end up having a negative impact on us. You, you know this personally. And that's what I want to talk to you about a few minutes today. You know this experientially. Parents, it's what you're afraid of most with your kids. You know, I used to do uh, jail ministry. Loved it. Loved it. If I wasn't doing this, that might be what I was doing. I loved hanging out with inmates. I loved it. And, and when I did jail ministry, I'd go in, we'd play basketball, we'd hang out, I'd converse. I'd always, I'd like to build a relationship with inmates. They're in there. They're people just like you and I that just got caught for things they did wrong. And, and, and I would always ask them, hey, what are you in here for? And they'd share. i said, man, how'd you get caught up into doing that? And you know, inevitably, inevitably, 90-some percent of the time, I would bet, you know what they said? You know, I just got caught up in the wrong crowd. See, you know friendships have an impact. You know negative friendships can all of a sudden change your attitude, the trajectory of your life, behaviors, mindset, things you value. And so what we want to do today in a few brief moments is take three questions that help us kind of look at our relationships and determine which 
level they belong to. Now look here a second. I got to say this before we go to the three questions. I'm not talking about who you should love. Because you should be sitting there, shouldn't we love everybody? Yes. That's not the point of this. I'm not talking about who you should be kind to, who you should reach out to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who you should invite into that layer, that level of influence and intimacy in your life. And there's three questions that help us with this. I want you to write them down. First, I need to ask, is this a destructive friendship? Is it destructive? Now, you've got a lot of things to write down, and I'm going to just warn you, we're just going to talk straight this morning. Can we do that? Just shake your head. It helps me out. Okay? Can we? Not everybody's shaking their head. Can we talk straight? Because we're going to do that. I prefer to have this conversation with you in my office. So if you could pretend I'm not preaching, and if you could pretend like we're sitting in my office, this is how I'd prefer to do it. But in order to talk to all of you at the same time, this is the way we had to do it, okay? So here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Friendships can corrupt your character. Seems simple, right? Friendships can end up corrupting, compromising your character. Here's what Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. There are friendships that can lead me away from things I once held dear. There are friendships that can lead me away from my relationship with God. There are friendships that can lead me away from valuing my family. There are friendships that can lead me away from very right and good and godly things that I used to do that now I no longer do. They're not as big of a deal to me. I used to be interested in this, but now I'm not. That's all he's saying. So the question is, how do I determine when a relationship is destructive? And I think the best thing for us to do is to go to our first and most important friendship. That would be friendship with Christ, friendship with God. And when I go to my first and most important friendship, I realize something that God in his word states something that's startling that there are some heart conditions that he says are despicable and that he hates. And so if I lean into him and listen to him, it's like, oh, that's something my most important and first friend says strong enough. He says, I hate this. Then I want to kind of listen to that and begin to use that as a grid for what matters to me and how I evaluate. It's found in Proverbs 6. You got it open. Here's what it says, verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Let's take these one by one, and I don't have screens for this, but you might want to write some of these questions down. I think it's worthwhile. If you're a parent, write them down. If you're a young adult, write them down. There's some just so many rich treasures in here. First question I need to ask, he says, haughty eyes. What does that mean? I just wrote this down. Is my friends or my friend arrogant? Now, by the way, as you're thinking about destructive friends in your life, you need to ask, am I a destructive friend? Fair, right? I need to ask, am I a destructive friend? Is this friend arrogant? Literally, haughty eyes means this, to look down on another in order to look up on yourself. Somebody who would 
put other people down to put themselves up. I need to ask, is this friend coachable, teachable? How does this friend respond when someone points out something wrong in their life? Are they always defensive? Do I, am I friends with somebody who is a self-proclaimed authority on everything? Do they always need to be right? It's interesting. There's a place in the Bible where God says he actually opposes something. You know what it is? James 4, 6 says, but God opposes the, say it out loud, God opposes the, that's interesting to me. But he shows favor to the humble. Why is that? Here's why. Because my first and most important friendship, if it's with God, the only doorway to enter into that friendship is the doorway of humility. The only way for me to enter into friendship with God is through humility. So I got to ask, is this friend arrogant? Then he says a lying tongue. I got to ask, is this friend dishonest? Does this person exaggerate? Do they fudge the facts, tell partial truths? Are they about keeping secrets that are unhealthy? I read this uh, somewhere this last week. I need to be careful and aware if my friend will lie for me. If my, that sounds like a good friend, right? If my friend will lie for me, they probably will lie about me. Right? If my friend will lie for me, they'll probably lie about me. The very first time we see a lying tongue show up is Genesis 3. Jesus said the father of lies. You know the answer to that question? The father of lies is who? Satan himself. Yet on the other end, our first and most important friend is Jesus, in whom no deceit falls. He is full of grace and truth. Then it says, hands that shed innocent blood. And we're like, shoo, good, we're good there, right? I don't got any murderers in my circle of friends, right? I don't got any killers. Maybe you do, That's, but, but maybe you're thinking, man, I ain't got no, nobody influencing me like that. But when you look at what Jesus said and you drill this back, he's saying more than just somebody who kills somebody. Jesus said in Matthew 5 through 7, you can look it up on your own, he says, hey, it's great, it's great to say thou shalt not murder, but the truth is there's a heart condition behind that. And so the question is, is this friend cruel? Is this friend cruel? They might not be a killer, but are they abusive? Is this friend somebody given to anger? Let me put it in modern day vernacular. Teenagers in the room, you'll recognize this word. Are they a bully? Are they a bully? Are they entertained by somebody else being hurt? Why in the world is somebody like that going to be hard to be friends with if my first and most important friendship is with God? Because if my first and most important friendship is with God, I realize all people, no matter who they are, are made in the image of who? God. (laughs) Right? Then he says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Here's the question I would write down for that. Is this friend devious? Am I friends with somebody that's always trying to manipulate? Figure ways to cheat the system? Let's just get personal. Am I friends with somebody who's willing to create a fake ID? Think up new ways to sin? Then he says this, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Is this friend quick to compromise? Am I friends with somebody who loves to see how close they can get to the line without getting caught? Are they willing to fudge convictions for the sake of a laugh? Are they willing to fudge convictions for the sake of impressing other people? It's interesting, right? 
And then he says, false witness who pours out lies. I wrote this down. Is this friend a liar? Now, that's interesting because didn't he already say that? Parents, look here a second. I, this is for free. This is a different sermon series. But, but I think it's worth mentioning. I think it's interesting that twice in this list that is so straightforward that he mentions things that revolve around truth-telling. Do you notice that? Twice he does that. I would say this, as you parent and coach your children, spend a lot of time leaning into your kids about honesty and truth-telling. Telling the truth. They're going to do a lot of squirrely things that you're going to have to discipline and coach and whatever and whatnot. But I would not ever let up on making sure that honesty and integrity are part of what you coach them in. See, there's all kinds of different ways. I've got to ask myself, is this friend a liar? Are they a gossip? Am I friends with somebody who loves when we're together talking about somebody who's not with us in this circle of friends? And probably saying things that aren't totally true in order to make themselves look better. Am I friends with somebody that's a hypocrite? You're like, what is that? That's somebody who proclaims to be a friend of God. Everybody in a setting like this would think they're a friend of God, but when nobody is with them other than me, they live any way but like somebody who would say they're a friend of God. Interesting. Then he says, person who stirs up conflict in the community. I need to ask this question. Is this friend divisive? Are they always opinionated about everything? They like to show up to stir up a fight. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul, actually, this, this is fascinating. You can look this up on your own. Paul in the New Testament says there's, several, there's, there's certainly a very few things where he looks at leadership in the church and he says, hey, if you've addressed this, if you've gone to somebody, you've tried to work with them and they don't respond, you ought to just kick them out. That sounds kind of, but you don't just kick them out immediately, but, but a divisive spirit is one. That's interesting, isn't it? Somebody who loves to see a fight started, somebody who shows up and their whole purpose is to create division, somebody who loves to create division in already existing friendships, the worst kind of division that can be created is in the friendship we have with Jesus. Andy Stanley says something, James will leave it up long enough for everybody to write down, you ought to write this down, never sacrifice your friendship with Christ for friendship with others. When somebody divides, causes you to compromise your friendship with Christ, they're causing division in a friendship that is first and most important. So it begs this question, do I have friendships that are destructive? You're saying, Dan, well then, some of you, I can see it in your eyes, I've done this, this is the third time, and every service, it's heavy, it's going to get heavier, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, it's heavy. I can almost feel it in the room. You're like, oh man, people are coming to your mind. Like Some of you are like, oh gee, and I don't know what, what you're thinking. And you're like, what do we do? Are you telling us not to love those people? No way, Jose. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. Jesus said, love your what? Enemies. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying I got to not, it's not whether I love them or not, it's, it's what level of intimacy and influence do I allow them into. And some of us in this room, the only people we can think of in that, in that inner circle are destructive friendships. We're in deep weeds. We're in deep weeds. And we need to assess and, and evaluate. And some of us, we, we can look at the friendships that we've allowed into those deep places, the people that influence us the most, and we can see we're a long ways from where we were at two, three years ago. Because two or three years ago, we're like, well, man, you know, 
I wasn't somebody that was compromising my morality. I wasn't somebody that was, was, was fudging the truth. I wasn't somebody that was always putting other people. And now I'm kind of like in a lab. And, like, and we can see the destruction that it brings. And here's the deal. My first and most important friendship with God helps me drive, decide, determine, and define my friendships. And I need to ask, are they destructive? Maybe I need to realign them. Some of us, maybe we're at a place where like, I, it's not realign them. I need to, to step away from them for a season because I keep ending up in a bad spot. You see, friendships are important and they will have impact. But there are friendships that don't seem destructive on the surface. They seem harmless and maybe even we could justify them to ourselves but they're unwise. They're what I call dangerous. I would write this down. Is this a dangerous friendship? Is this a dangerous friendship? I want to lean into a couple specific areas of wisdom when it comes to friendship. Can I do that this morning? Uh, that, that I want to just go right at it. God created Adam and saw he was alone so he created a solution. Her name was Eve. He called Eve Adam's wife. It's found in Genesis chapter 2. We'll throw it on the screen. Here's what it says. Lord God said, not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Lord God caused man to fall in deep sleep. While he was sleeping, took one of man's ribs, closed up place with flesh. Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, brought her to the man. Man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I want to say something that if you've come here for any length of time, you've heard me say. If you're newer, you haven't, you need to. I want to, I'm going to shoot straight about a couple of things. First and foremost, this is God giving a solution to man's aloneness. And his solution was what we would call the institution or the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a sacred exclusive, unique friendship. I'm going to say it again. Marriage is a sacred, unique, and exclusive friendship between one man and one woman in a covenant. What's a covenant? Here's a covenant. A covenant is a promise of future love. Let me say, tell you what a covenant A covenant isn't a declaration of present feelings. Everybody in love on their wedding day. I love you. I love, but, but the covenant is making a vow. I'm going to love you into a future I don't know anything about. Sickness, I don't know. Health, hope. Rich, love it. Poor, probably. Right? Don't know. And so I'm making a covenant, a vow. So marriage is a sacred, unique, exclusive friendship between one man one woman in a covenant of marriage for a lifetime. Marriage is a vow that leads to a unique and lifetime friendship that leads to a distinct and exclusive intimacy. And because marriage is God's solution, was his solution to that original problem, it begs a couple questions that I got to ask this morning. If you're in the room and you're not married, I want to start with you. You're in the room and you're not married. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you want to be dating. You hope to be dating. I want to start with you. And the first question I got to ask is this. Am I dating someone who is not friends with God? Am I dating 
someone who is not friends with God. If marriage is a unique, exclusive, sacred covenant, right? Friendship. It is a unique friendship with somebody, one man, one woman, if that's what it is. And if my friendship with God is my first and most important friendship, it only stands to reason that I would not yoke, connect, bind, put together my life. If God is my first and most important friendship, I wouldn't yoke my life with somebody who's not a friend of God. Paul puts it this way. Throw that up there, James, 2 Corinthians. Or not. There we go. 2 Corinthians. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Look here a second. I want to kind of explain this. What's he saying? He's saying you shouldn't hang out with, we shouldn't be friends with. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't yoke your life. Don't, don't bind your life up with an unbeliever if you're somebody who said yes to Christ. There is no more permanent, profound yoking, so to speak, than the yoke of marriage. And he uses something that's not very romantic here, by the way. He uses the illustration of a yoke that would have fit over two oxen. <laughs> Not real romantic, but that works, okay? And when, when yoked together, they together can pull more than the sum of each of them individually added together. What is he saying? He's saying, why would you, listen to this, why would you yoke your life if you're a friend of God, if that's the most important relationship you have, why would you yoke your life to somebody who's not a friend of God? Because when you yoke your life to somebody who's not a friend of God, and you are, what happens is you end up going in circles. And all I got to say is this, if my walls could talk, can we just... Can we just talk real plain and honest for a minute? If my walls could talk, and I wish they could. This is the, I've done this 22, 23 years, guys. This is the number one piece of advice that I have given continually that has been rejected and ignored more than any other piece of advice I have ever given. I'm just being honest. The, the way it works is this. I have a young lady come in my office and she's like, Pastor Dan, I'm so excited. I, I met this guy. Tell me about him. His name's Festus, right? It's always Festus, right? <laughs> what about Festus? He's good looking. I'm like, that's great, right? You want me to marry somebody ugly, right? I mean, that's, that's good. <laughs> Give me one amen on that, right? But the truth is, Probably the way he looks right now is as good as he's going to look, right? I mean, you've been married for a while. You know this, right? I said, well, tell me more about Festus. Man, he's, he's got a good job. Man, he, he's a good guy. He's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. Man, he drives a nice car. Good family. That's great. Hey, what's Festus in relationship with Jesus like? Have a problem with me having a relationship with Jesus, Pastor Dan. It's not really his thing. Like, he's okay if I got one, but mm, 
but, but I'm cool with it if he's cool with it. Look here, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to agree with me to come here on Sundays. In fact, some of you will not agree with what I'm getting ready to say. I'm okay with that. But I will tell you what I say almost 100% of the time. I look at them and say, break up. And if you are in a relationship like that and you're sitting here right now, I would look at you and I would lovingly, I'm not being mean about it, I would say, break up. Oh, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to win him to Jesus. And maybe you know somebody where that's happened, but I will tell you that's the exception, not the rule. I have gals that will come into my office having been married for years and they'll say to me, I wish somebody had talked to me like this before I got married. Because I married him, he was a good guy, he wants nothing to do with God. And we have found ourselves when it comes to how we're going to raise our kids, how the things we're going to value in our home, we're going in circles. And that's a different conversation for a different sermon. But those of you who are dating, young adults, teenagers, single people in the room, I would look at you and say, break up. Well, you, you see, Pastor Dan, I start dating, start coming to church with me. He's, he's like friendly about God. I'm saying, is he friends with God? Can we just jump right in? If he's asking you to sleep with him before you get married, he's not cultivating a friendship with God, nor does he care about your friendship with God. Now we're in, aren't we? I don't know a straighter way to say it. If she... If she is encouraging you to pull away from things that one time you were passionate about, that you gave your life to when it come to serving Jesus, if all of a sudden being a part of what's going on at church isn't as big of a deal, being a part of ministry is not a big of a deal, she is not cultivating a friendship with God, nor does she care about your friendship with God. I'm trying to be as straight as I can. If you're here and you're a young adult, a teenager, and you're flirting around with somebody who's not friends with God, they're good looking, they're a kind person, doesn't mean they're a bad person. I will tell you this, you are, dating is simply a pathway to marriage. That's what it is. Well, we're just starting. Well, then be friends in a group or something. But I got to ask, am I dating somebody who is not friends with God? Those of you in the room that are married, I want to talk to you. Can I talk to you? I need to ask myself a question. Am I flirting with friendship that's reserved for my spouse? Am I flirting with a friendship that is reserved for my spouse? I need to ask, am I entertaining or nurturing a friendship with somebody from the opposite sex? Be careful. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're here and you're married, you shouldn't have friends of the opposite gender. But what I am saying is that there's a certain level of friendship that is appropriate and a certain level of friendship that is dangerous. Marriage is a one flesh friendship. Let me say it again. Marriage, Genesis 2, is a one flesh friendship. Here's what that means. I want to say it clear so that this is stuff you ought to hear in church, by the way. If somebody's like, I can't believe you're talking about this in church, right? Somebody said to me after one of the services, I can't believe you had the guts to say that. It don't take guts. God just says it. 
I'm serious. They don't say, here's the deal. Sex. Sex was created by God. It's beautiful. Should be enjoyed. And it was created for the confines. You ready? The confines of the exclusive, unique, special friendship of marriage. That's what it was created for. And so if I'm here and I'm married, I need to ask, am I flirting with a friendship that's reserved simply for my spouse? Most affairs, most affairs start as friendships that go off course. That's what Proverbs 5, you ought to write this down, Proverbs 5, right before Proverbs 6, is a father talking to his son about being intoxicated with his wife, not another man's wife. I need to ask myself, if I'm married, am I giving a friend from the opposite gender attention that's meant for my spouse? I need to ask myself, am I talking to a friend from the opposite gender, you ready, about my spouse? If I'm here and I'm a man and I'm talking to a friend who happens to be a woman about my spouse, my wife, whoop, 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 danger, danger, warning, warning. In fact, I would write this down. I just thought of this before the first service. I don't have a slide for it. But I would be careful of three T's. Three T's. I'd write them down. I'd be careful of time, talking, and touching. Time, talking, and touching. I'd be careful of the amount of time you spend fostering that relationship with somebody from the opposite gender and where you foster it at. I'd be careful of how much time you spend with them and where you spend it. I'll just tell you the way this rolls for me. I just want to be honest. I want to be helpful today. I will not. So I will not go have coffee with another woman. I had a gal ask me one time, she said, well, I work and somewhere and I need to talk to you about something. Can you meet me halfway in this place and can we have coffee? And I said, no. You don't have to agree and that you don't have, but, but here, and I have people like, you're weird. I'm like, I'll be honest with you. I'd rather people think I'm weird and know my wife knows I love her and want to do everything I can to protect that. Well, why do you do that? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you something you won't hear many preachers say because no one, no one, I don't know if I said this, but no one is above it. No one. I'm strong. I can handle it. My, my wife, she understands. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. Be careful of time. Be careful of talking. The things you talk about. So guys, let me tell you something. You have the gal at work, she's friends, and she starts sharing with you real intimate, real personal things because her husband at home won't listen to her. He's a dud. And man, but I'm so glad you just listened to me and you're so caring. Your wife is so lucky. And oh, I just want to, and I want to share and pour my heart out. I'm going to tell you something. At some point, you need to look at her and say, you know something? I care about you. You need some girlfriends. You need some girlfriends. Because I've never met somebody come in my office, and I have a lot of stories where they come in and say, you know, I woke up one day and thought it would be a great day for an affair. It happens one conversation, one decision, one compromise at a time. I'd be careful of 
time talking and touching. That innocent hug that you love to give and whatever and whatnot, they may not think about it the same as you think about it. And all of a sudden, it might, oh, man, I just love to get my... So all morning, people have been making fun of me, but if you watch me, I love to hand out hugs. And when I'm hugging gals, you'll see me do this. I give them a side hug. I'm like, why do you do that? Man, you, you hug my husband, give me a little bear hug. Why did you give me a side hug? Just because. Because. <laughs> see what I'm saying? You see, our best and most important friendship wants what's best for us. And so his solution was this idea of marriage which is exclusive, special, unique friendship. Which leads to the last thing, and then, then I need to be done. Is it destructive? Is it dangerous? And then this is kind of cool to think about. Is this a disciple-making friendship? Jesus says this in John 15, Greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. Here's the way I think about this. I don't have to wonder, does God want to be my friend? Jesus laid down his life for me, right? But then look what he says next. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says, you, you know I'm, I won't be your friend. I died for you. And then he says, here's how I'll know that you're my friend. If you go to church. No, not really. He's like, if you do what I command. Why? Is Jesus like, I just want you to do what I command. Just follow the rules. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is important theology for even beyond this conversation. God's commands reflect his heart. He didn't just come up with this rule list. He wants what's best for us. And so his commands reflect his heart. And so here's what he says. You'll know you're my friends if you follow what reflects my heart, which is my, my heart, which is my commands, which begs this question. Well, then what's the last command Jesus gave before he left? Matthew 28 says this. Came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and here's the command. Make disciples. Jesus' last and final and overarching command was this. I want you to go to all nations and invite, influence them, point them towards a friendship with God. Interesting way to look at it. So it begs this question. What if I looked at my friendships through the lens of my most important and first friendship, that's the friendship I have with Jesus, I would ask some different questions. Maybe the first question I would ask is this, am I inviting them into a friendship with Jesus? Here's the thing I get. I've had so many conversations about this. I'll have people that will come to me and say, you know, Pastor Dan, I'm more like Jesus than all those church people. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Man, I got the only friends I got, man, they're all like unsaved, and we go out and we, we drink and we did whatever, but, but I'm out there with them, man. It's like, and I always say, that's cool. You know why? Jesus was a friend of sinners. But listen, listen, be careful because you're fooling yourself. You need to know something. Yeah, Jesus hung out with sinners, and always, 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 in case you didn't hear me, always, Jesus' presence had a redemptive impact. Always. You see, i got to ask myself, the people I'm hanging out with in the bowling league with, golfing with, riding bikes, whatever it is, got to ask, do I somehow make the gospel attractive? Is there anything in my life that invites them, influences them into friendship with Jesus? If he's my first and most important friendship, wouldn't that make sense? 
can, can we just say it this way? Can I just be real blunt? Mike and I are buddies here, right? If Mike said, you know, Dan, I want to be good friends with you. Like, man, I'd love to be in a golf league with you. Do you golf? I don't know. Whatever. You, yeah, whatever. He's a dentist. I want to pull teeth with you or whatever. You know, but, but, but I want to be in a golf league. I want to fit. Dan, I'd like to spend Monday, Wednesday, Thursday night, I man, just hang out. Dan, I really want to spend time, be good buddies. I'd love to really get into God's word together. Got one problem. What's that, Mike? I just don't really like your wife. And, and, like, if we could get together and not talk about her and not include her, and if you could, I'm like, dude, like, she's the most important relationship I have on this planet. Like, I'd look at Mike and say, that's great, but the deal is this. Our friendship's only going to go so far. You know why? Because she's my one flesh friend. We're, we're like married, special, unique friendship. And, and like, I, I'm happy to be your friend, but, but I'm not going to sit and, and pretend she doesn't exist. I'm not going to keep it secret that I'm married to Jennifer. I'm not going to, there's no way I can do that. Jennifer and I are, are like this. We're, we're, we are one. And you're sitting there and looking at me, you're like, that makes sense, Dan. Well, then why in the world would I have a friendship where my first and most important friendship with God is a secret and didn't somehow influence and wasn't a part of the conversation? Makes sense? Now, here's what I'm not saying. If you go to your friends that are unsaved and you start hitting them over the head with a Bible, you know, man, you guys need to get saved. You need to get whatever. Listen to me. I wouldn't be your friend. All I'm asking is this. Is, is your friendship with those people somehow make the gospel attractive? Is there anything about your life inviting them into a friendship with, with Jesus? I've been a friend with them for 10 years and, and Jesus never come up. Really? My first and most important friendship? Then I need to ask the question this. Are they influencing me in my friendship with Jesus? I, I, I would put it this way. Do I have any friends in my life that are... Re- guys, listen to me. I mean, gals listen in on this, but guys, we're terrible at this. Do I have any friends in my life that are asking me questions that matter? Us guys, we can talk for hours about nothing. Seriously, I can talk to you for three hours straight about sports. I'm not picking on guys. I can do it. I don't even have to blink, but sometimes we never talk about the things that matter. Do I have friends in my, in my life that ask me things that matter? If you don't, we need them. That's what grace groups are, grace group leaders. Grace groups are about cultivating friendships that matter. And then I need to ask, is there someone I'm influencing in their friendship with Jesus? Am I helping somebody in their friendship with Jesus? That's what disciple making is all about. You see, it's my first and most important friendship that defines, decides, determines the rest of my friendships. So it begs these questions, and then we're done. Are you friends with God? Are you friends with God? Like, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Like, when that becomes the first and most important friendship, it determines the rest. Well, then, then I need to ask, am I in some destructive friendships? And some of you are. And you need to reassess and realign them. And because they've led you astray, you're way far from where you were. And you're like, man, I got to... Somehow I've let them where they shouldn't be. I'm listening to the wrong voices. Are you in a dangerous friendship? Dating somebody that's not a friend of God? My advice is break it off. But we've been, I know. You flirting with a friendship reserved for your spouse? I'd run. I'd run. 
And then what might happen in our friendships if we looked at them all through the lens of our best friend Jesus, our first and most important friendship. All of a sudden, those people in my life that don't know Jesus, I'm like, wow, I wonder if somehow they're attracted to friendship with Christ as a result of being my friend. I begin to look at the people in my inner circle and say, is there anybody asking me the important questions? And am I asking anybody the important questions in life to help them in their friendship with Jesus? And so, God, I can feel the heaviness in this room. I think this is an important conversation. Some of us are struggling because we got destructive friendships and we've been led astray. Others of us are flirting around the edges with some dangerous friendships and we need to run and redefine. And then most of us in this room can begin to think of friends in our life that somehow our most important and first friendship has an impact at that relationship. So God, I'm asking this. I, I count it such a privilege to be able to serve the people sitting in this room and to be a part of what's going on here. And I'm praying that you would lean into us however you see fit. That our first and most important relationship with you would be what we embrace and then what we allow to define, decide, determine how we engage in relationships with others. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for inviting us to be your friend. We pray this in Jesus' name.